Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's bi-weekly speaker series podcast. This week, we are joined by Kate Rayworth, author of the international bestseller, Donut Economics, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist, co-founder of the Donut Economics Action Lab. She teaches at Oxford University's Environmental Change Institute and is professor of practice at Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. I'm sitting down with Kate Rayworth after her appearance at the CID speaker series this past Friday, April 30th. Kate, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Really glad to join you. Thank you. Um, in your book, you offer seven ways to think like a 21st century economist. Can you reflect on the evolution of economics as a science and what are the gaps that you saw that prompted you to write the book? Well, that's the question of economics as a science. So way back in the, in the 1870s, some of the early economists were really, really keen to make economics a science and they were inspired by the great scientist of the time, Sir Isaac Newton, who had discovered the physical laws of motion. And I think it set them off on this desire to, to show that economics was as scientific as physics and that's what gave it gravitas. And so they literally began to use metaphors, you know, just as gravity pulls an object to rest, so market prices, uh, prices pull markets into equilibrium. They literally reached to those metaphors and in doing so moved away from the dynamism and the system dynamics that they should have gone for and went for much more static analysis. So in its very origins of wishing to be like science, I think economics took a wrong turn because the wrong kind of science was available at the time. And I'm talking about Jevons who drew the very first demand curve that now is still part of the supply and demand curve taught to every student today. The other problem that happened when economics wanted to be like a science, well, science doesn't have explicit goals. And I think that's what led economists to desire to claim that this was a value-free science. My, my first economics textbook when I first arrived at university was called Positive Economics, not positive as in thumbs up, positive as in value-free. This is not normative. This is a value-free space where we're all rational objective here. Nonsense. Economic ideas, the minute they hit the page, the minute we start drawing lines, we are choosing what to make visible and what to leave invisible. And we are embedding our choices and our values in that from the get-go. So the idea that we were creating some sort of value-free science, the worst of it is that they believed it. Because if you believe that, then you actually can't even see that you've made these choices. You're not aware that there's ethics embedded in everything that you've done. So I think it's really important to start economics again with values. And that's why with donut economics, I start with the donut. And some economists say to me, oh, well, this is, you know, this is, you're, you're becoming very political here. And this is your values. Like, well, if you don't state what you're aiming at, how on earth can you describe what economic success looks like? So on the donut, um, you know, we've all been warned of the dangers of excess sugar, but you argue that this donut is good for us. For those of us who might still be new to the concept, can you walk us through the main features of donut economics? Yeah, I know there's something kind of ridiculous about calling uh, a, a prosperity for humanity in the 21st century, calling it a donut. But, you know, a lot of people are afraid of economics. It makes them pull back and they say, I wasn't very good at maths at school. But when you stick the word donut in front of it, in, people immediately know this is playful. This is for you. This is not intimidating and you can get involved. And to me, that's far outweighs the danger that people will go and eat another donut. So the idea of donut economics is to say if the goal the goal of the donut is the kind with a hole in the middle, right? You don't want to leave anybody falling short in the essentials of life in the hole. 
but don't overshoot the outer crust where we put mm -hmm. so much pressure on the life support systems of our planet that we break them down. So we want to everyone to be between the inner and outer rings in that safe and just space for humanity. And if that's the starting point, if that's it's a radically different economics course you're going to do. You know, you could walk into two lecture halls. One will say, welcome to economics, supply and demand, and off we go. Other lecture hall, welcome to economics, here's the donut. We are aiming to meet the needs of all people within the means of the planet. What kinds of regulation and institutions and markets and incentives and recognition of paid and unpaid work would we need? What kind of institutions to create an economy would even give us half a chance of doing this? That's what Donut Economics sets out to do. And I wrote it by first realizing the power of pictures. Once I'd drawn the donut diagram in 2012, it, it took off like wildfire really quickly internationally. I, people, people started coming up to me saying, are you the donut lady? And I thought, what have I done? <laughs> But it, it had such traction to my amazement. And I realized, wow, pictures are powerful. So many people said, I've always thought of sustainable development like this. I've just never seen the picture before. And now I have the mm -hmm. picture in my hand. I feel empowered. So I looked through all my old economics textbooks at the pictures. What are the pictures that have influenced me? And it was supply and demand. It was mm -hmm. the circular flow of goods and money. It was the image of rational economic man. It was the undrawn image of endless economic growth. And I realized how profoundly these were shaping my worldview. And that just like graffiti, they were extremely hard to scrub off, you know, rather than trying to scrub away graffiti, you're better off trying to paint over it. So I decided to replace them with other concepts, alternative views that I drew from ecological and feminist and complexity and institutional and behavioral economics that had so many ideas that were outside of what was being taught in the textbooks. And, and that's the goal of Donut Economics, to, to make them dance on the same page and show that we're in the early days of rewriting economics for the 21st century. So, I mean, with Donut Economics stated goal to meet the needs of all people within the living means of the planet, what types of metrics are needed beyond the typical economic indicators like GDP to measure success? Well, Simon Kuznets back in the 1930s was the first father of GDP, right? US Congress asked him to come up with one number to measure the outcome of the US economy, and he did. It was the first national income accounts. Mm -hmm. If he was alive today, if he had access to the data we have about the lives of people, the distribution of income, the well-being of their children, their health and education and housing conditions, and could gather that information on the scale that it's available today. If he had data on the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the quality of rivers and the withdrawals of water and the excessive use of fertilizer, I have no doubt that Simon Kuznets would be on the team that says, we do not want a single number. We want a dashboard. You would never try and fly a plane with one dial. You want a whole cockpit full of dials and that's what makes it safe to take off, fly and land. Because he said, you know, okay, here's his GDP. By the way, it could scarcely be used to measure the welfare of a nation because it doesn't count the unpaid care work of houses. It doesn't count the value created by community. And it only creates what we can sell. It doesn't create what we've used up to do that. So it tells you the price of timber, but not the value of the woods that you cut down. So I've no doubt that given the data revolution that's going on, he and others would say, let's measure life in its own terms. Let's measure human well-being in human metrics because we can and we do. Let's measure the health of the planet in her own metrics. And we don't have to put dollar values on everything. We don't have to add it all up. 
we can find balance. Mm -hmm. We don't add everything up in our own lives. We find balance and we, and we learn that things are incommensurable. They cannot be substituted one for the other and therefore it doesn't even make sense to try and add them up. You can't make up for a, a climate change by having a few more PhDs. You need both a stable climate and a well-educated population. So I think he'll yeah. be, be on side for the dashboard. <laughs> Thank you. And so from these bold concepts that you're introducing to practice, in September of last year, you led the launch of the Donut Economics Action Lab, also known as DEAL. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what the Action Lab hopes to create in terms of as serving as a space for action? What are the key themes and how has that community evolved so far? Mm, great question. So Donut Economics, the book, came out in early 2017. And I spent two years just responding to invitations to present it, going around talking. And I was saying, you know, what if we did this? What if you could do this? And imagine if we did. And after every talk, people would come up to me and say, no, 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 but, but I am. I am doing it. I'm teaching this in my classroom. It's not in the syllabus, but I'm teaching it. I am putting these ideas into practice at the heart of my business. I'm going to take this to my town council into the meeting. I'm going to take this to the CEO of my company. And I realized that actually, there were people who wanted to take these ideas and already were taking them off the page and putting them into practice. I sincerely believe that 21st century economics is going to be practiced first and theorized later. So mm -hmm. some people started saying to me, oh, what's your next book? And I thought, why, why would you write a next book? I mean, shall we just do this one first? So I thought, okay, the next thing to do is not write another book. Let's do this one. And so I set up together with my brilliant co-pilot, Carlotta Sands, we set up Donut Economics Action Lab, and the name is very intentional. It's all about action. And it's a lab because we're experimenting. And even the organization itself is an experiment. And every economic invent innovation is an experiment. So it, it felt playful and light to do it that way. And we are working with the very people who keep approaching us and saying we want to do this. So it's teachers from high school to university who are putting into practice. It's businesses it's progressive startups and sometimes it's big business thinking hmm can we transform that's a big challenge i tell you it's towns and cities and neighborhoods that say we want to do this here well how can we put these in practice in our streets in our city um, and it's actually governments and policymakers. when i wrote the book i intentionally thought i'm not even going to try and appeal to policymakers because if i do that i will write a really feasible pragmatic doable incremental sensible book and what is the point of that? So I'm going to completely ignore the policymakers, otherwise I will, I will censor myself. And what's amazed me is the number of policymakers from political parties and from um, the civil services of countries that have come across the political spectrum and wanted to do it. So we're working with change makers everywhere. Some are marching in the streets, some are quietly changing the tax code. People, I mean, I've discovered just there are change makers everywhere in all areas of work. And when those people find it and say, this is useful to me to bring about the changes I already wanted to make, then we start working with them. We create tools together, we adapt them, we ask them to write up their stories. All we ask is that you share back. These tools are free and they can be adapted if you follow the principles of putting the done into practice. And if you share back what you've learned because that's the core of reciprocity. And it's just a pretty thrilling journey to see what's popping up from Barbados to Curaçao to Costa Rica to Copenhagen businesses and teachers in the Philippines and in Brighton. Just amazing people who want to co-create tools and resources. Uh, so it's just, it, for me, it's far more fun than writing another book, which I found really hard. 
So it does sound like a story of co-creation in a sense with all these players. It is absolutely a story of co-creation. Uh, that, that's the corporate. And, and look, Shada, how do we know each other? Because I saw you on Twitter and you were following me and saying interesting things. So when we decided to create Donut Economics Action Lab, we thought, well, let's, we, we need some input from the community. We want input from, but the community doesn't exist yet. So let's go and find some people who might be com future community users. And we'd never spoken to each other, but I just thought, there's an interesting woman. I wrote to you on Twitter and said, do you want to join? And that's how we know each other. So it's co-creation from the start and it, the brilliance of ideas that people bring of things that you'd never have thought of or situations that they want to apply it to that you'd never have thought of. I'll, I'll give one example. Uh, there's a, a district in a town in, in Uganda where they wanted to use the donut to look at impacts of health and environmental degradation there. There's no data. So instead of data, they just, the, the students doing the study got their cameras and they went around and they photographed all of the impacts of environmental degradation on people's health. And so they made a photo image of the donut. Brilliant. Now that immediately is inspiration for people everywhere. Oh, of course, let's do that as well. So I love seeing how this inspiration is pinging off, pinging off each other. Um, and, and we make things that no one, no one alone could have ever imagined. And so exactly that brings me to my next question is that, you know, since Amsterdam was the, one of the first cities to adopt uh, the donut economic model, maybe there's a perception that this is only suited for countries you know, with expensive technologies. Uh, but what can you tell us a little bit about the lessons learned of applying the donut in, in places, as you said, like Uganda or Amsterdam? So Amsterdam is, is a kind of city that loves to pioneer. And they said early on, yes, we are pioneering and creating circularity. We're going to use the donut as a concept there. And so they were the first city a year ago this month to launch their city portrait. And it triggered so much inspiration in other places. Now, when we developed the city portrait methodology, we were focusing on three cities of the global north. That's where we began, Portland, Philadelphia and Amsterdam. So we framed it around their interests and obligations and responsibilities. Now there's interest coming from all around the world. So a bunch of other European cities from Copenhagen to Brussels to Barcelona to Berlin have said, you know, we're interested, but also far beyond in Australia and Canada uh, and the US, but also places, cities and, and countries in the global south that say, well, this is really useful to us too. So we thought, mm -hmm. okay, let's adapt this technology, let's adapt this methodology to mm -hmm ensure it it's relevant as possible to the context needs and interests of cities and places in the global south and so we've got an ongoing co-creation a workshop that we've invited all those people who contacted us and said well you're clearly the people who are interested in come on let's do this together and we are adapting it so it's been mm. used in barbados in curacao in uh, planning to use it in bangladesh and in india and in costa rica I'm really excited to see how, again, the change makers in those places who best know their context and what's useful yeah. and what's relevant, how they will then go forward and put it into practice. That's, that's amazing to hear. Um, let's take a little bit of a global uh, outlook uh, for the next question. So in the wake of COVID-19, the UN has called for the world to build back better. Um, do you feel the impacts of this pandemic on the global economy will make a concept like donut economics more difficult or easier to adopt? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I'm seeing is 
self-selection by the countries and cities that choose to contact us, right? So I can't speak for the whole world, but what I can say is there is definitely a group who in the face of COVID and in the face of climate and ecological emergency. So, you know, two years ago, okay, they, all the councils declared a climate emergency and now there's a COVID emergency. By the way, we've gone through a financial crisis. There are multiple crises. It just doesn't make sense for cities to say, okay, we've got a, we've got a climate strategy over here. We've got a COVID strategy over here. We've got a local economy strategy over here. I mean, you just end up with a desk full of strategies this is why Amsterdam took one look at the donut and said, you know, everything that we care about is in there. It acts as an umbrella concept above it all. And that's why they adopted it. Now, I believe that transformation happens out of crisis. It's crisis that opens up a crack in history and enables us to choose differently. You know, transformation very, very rarely happens in calm times. So for people and places that are saying, hey, let's just get through COVID, let's just get back to where we were and then we'll transform. I mean, you're, you're just walking past the window and shutting it. That won't happen. And that's why Amsterdam, again, in the height of their COVID infection in April, 2020, they said, yep, yeah, we're gonna launch this donut because as we begin to emerge from the emergency, we need to know where we want to go. We need a goal, back to economics, no goal. What do you mean no goal? We need a clear goal of where we wanna go and then that will steer how we invest, how we reinvigorate jobs, how we choose to spend our money. And it'll point us in that direction. So I'm definitely seeing some places that are jumping at it um, and knowing, mm -hmm. that, okay, enough, enough repeated crisis. Let's turn this into a big opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, this is definitely a paradigm shift. And so how do you see it linking to global efforts like the SDGs and uh, the Paris Agreement, especially in light of the Leaders Summit held in the US a couple of weeks ago and uh, the upcoming COP26 in Glasgow? So the donut and the sustainable development goals, I would call them cousin concepts. I first drew the donut in uh, 2012. And it was published just months before the UN Conference on Environment and Development, Sustainable Development in Rio Plus 20. And it actually was very influential in the run up to that. That's at that conference was where people decided let's create some sustainable development goals. I was told that in the final hours of developing, of negotiating the SDGs in 2015, someone in the room told me, you know, we had the donut on the table next to us to make sure that we didn't get focused on the micro details of commas and dashes and ensure, enable, changing the way keep the big picture. This is the big picture. So I was obviously deeply honored to hear that the donut had helped shape the worldview of the SDGs. And then I, I upgraded the donut after the SDGs came out and put them at the center of the donut. This is the latest statement of what the world's governments say every person has a claim to. That's pretty strong stuff. So they're very closely related. Then in terms of COPs, uh, COP26 coming up here in the UK, my, my nation has chosen to invite the world to our shores. We darn well better be absolutely <laughs> leading and showing that we are up for this. It shows again, the, the, one of the critical boundaries of the outside of the donut is climate. This mm -hmm. is one of the major metrics of our time. We must rapidly come back within that overshoot, which we're all over together. So there's huge onus on countries in the UK to lead to step up the national contributions that are we all know are way, way, way short of the mark right now, to step it up and the global north to lead first and fastest. So Kate, um, how can you advise maybe students and young people that might be just overwhelmed by the size of the cha challenge they see in the world today? Can you offer some words of inspiration or advice? So I think 
it's really helpful to have a view of the whole. And, and I know some people turn to the donut, but there are other concepts, but the because it, it helps you see everything. And then you can zoom in and say, you know, I, I can't work on everything. And I, I find everything overwhelming, but I'm gonna choose one thing. I am passionate about health or I'm passionate about racial justice or water or transport or electric power. And I'm gonna work on that one thing, knowing that I'm contributing to the whole. And as long as I keep the whole donut in mind, I know that the way I'm pursuing uh, carbon reductions is also going to be socially just and respecting other parts of the planet. So have a picture of the whole, but allow yourself to choose something that you're passionate about. I'd also say that when we think about transformation, there are many, many roles. Some people love to march in the street, block a bridge and lock onto an oil rig. And we need those people. Some focus on exposing corruption and bringing down the old system. Others passionately want to envision the new and they want to be the forerunners of it and set up the micro enterprises that make it visible and others still work very very quietly inside university departments and inside governments tax departments and inside corporations quietly changing the rules that change everything in the end there are so many different roles that people can play and i think it often depends upon personality introvert versus extrovert very different roles you might choose it depends upon skill and your chosen place to apply yourself. So often I, I'd say, you know, there's many ways to engage here. There's no one right way. And the last thing I want to say on that is that this work is not done. This is big teamwork. I have to be honest, it's, I'm embarrassed to say it, but when I was a student in the early 1990s, Amartya Sen had published his work on um, capabilities. And I thought, well, that's sort of development done really. I mean, you know, that's the final word, isn't it? Uh, no, it was not the final word. And the donut is not the final word. And I hope in 10 years time, people won't be talking about the donut. They'll say, do you know, in the early 2000s, they talked about what on earth? Are you talking about? <laughs> talking about regenerative and distributive design. Yes, let's move forward. So this is big team work. And these ideas are passing points and we need new ideas. And that's today's students are going to be the ones who create those ideas. So believe that you are going to be part of creating the new ideas that we need. You can find more information about Kate's work at the Donut Economics website, donuteconomics.org. And you can follow her on Twitter at Kate Rayworth. Thanks again, Kate, for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next week. <laughs>